for those that don't know me, obviously, you know, I've been, I was here part of this church for actually three years. Um, my wife and I and my kids, we actually moved down from Gainesville um, 2019, July 2019, and, and we were here part of this church for three years, and, and the Lord just, uh, the, you know, the, the beginning of this year kind of like called us out um, to go do a different ministry, and so now we are um, back in Gainesville, our hometown, and go Gators. Okay, and then, um, you know, so, so now we're back, in, you know, home, and um, it's been amazing, and the Lord, uh, like I said, it, it was three years exactly, almost to the day. We left, actually, July of this year. Um, there was, like, a difference of, like, 10 days or something like that. It's just, it's phenomenal how the Lord did, just works things, but anyway, real quick, before I jump into the Word, I want to say this, though. If you don't know me, this is a little bit of me, just a snippet, just like that. You have an understanding of where I come from, and I'm about to share the word with you. So I just want you to know that I'm not just like trying to look clean. Although somebody was saying like, wow, like now you got a new job. Now you're like all clean. Like what happened? No more t-shirts. Like, listen, I got a lot of t-shirts. It just thinks, you know, it's a different season. You know, us Christians, we like to move in seasons, you know, it's a different season in life. Anyway, so I got a beautiful wife, Karina. You know, we've been married 17 years. She's amazing. Yeah. We've been married 17 years. We got four kids. Robert Jr., 26 years old. Isabella, she's 15, about to be 16. Yeah. Annabelle, she's 12 years old. And Daniel, our boy Daniel, our human calculator, he's 10 years old. But life, ha life has been good, but it didn't really start like that. I grew up in a home when my dad was an alcoholic, hardship, difficult time, very difficult, abuse uh, physically, emotionally, verbally, and because of that, the environment that I was in, I grew up in a home that it was really messed up, and, and that kind of like got me really angry inside, and so as I was growing older, I just, I took the streets, and I started like finding my identity and who I was as a man um, out in the streets, and with the package of being in the streets and being out, you know, doing stupid things. Next thing you know, I found myself making, as, a, as an adolescent, I was found myself uh, going to jail quite a few times and to the point that now I was an adult doing some real messed up things that caused for some real consequences. And so I committed a crime, and that crime led me to go into prison. And I did three years in prison. I'm not ashamed of saying that because in prison, out of those three years, a year and a half into being in prison, I got rescued by Jesus. Literally, he got me out of the pits of hell. And so being in prison and, you know, loving God and loving Jesus and, and had this guy say, do you have a plans when you get, when you have plans when you get out? I'm like, yeah, I got a plan. I'm going to go get a job and, and try to be a, a dad to my son. And he's like, that's not a plan, Robert. And of course, I was mad at him. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's like the plan, you know. And so then realized that he was saying, hey, you need to go to a place that is going to take you in and help you transition in a healthy way. You need to set a foundation in your walk with God that is going to help you go back into society in a healthy place. And sure enough, I got introduced to a ministry called House of Hope in Gainesville, Florida. And so when I EOS, when I, my sentence ended in Gainesville, I went into the House of Hope and I was there for seven months. 
And sure enough, the foundation was solidified in Christ. I got plugged into Greenhouse Church back in 2003. I know some of you like, were like not even born in 2003. It's okay. It makes me feel a little younger. Went through the House of Hope seven months there. Then my wife and I united, and we got married, and we had three kids, and, and life has been amazing. Then the Lord called me to full-time ministry, and here I am today standing as a testimony of the grace of God, of what he can do in your life if you open up your hearts to him. And now I'm actually the executive director to the one ministry that I went through in 2003. Now that's something to get praise to Jesus for, right? I will have to, I mean, I'm like, trust me, those days that I'm standing, I'm like, Lord, I don't know why you call me to this. I don't know what I'm doing. But clearly he has called. And so therefore, he who he's calling, he's going to equip. Amen. Hey, I am really excited to share this word. I, I know I got a clock in front of me. I am going to apologize ahead of time because it looks like I might go a little bit longer. John. You could charge me a dollar after that, after every minute that I go by. But anyway, just bear with me. I really believe that this is a word from the Lord for the time that we're living in right now. And, and I have the privilege to actually start off this series that we're going to jump into um, in the book of Job. And so it's going to be amazing. So today we're beginning a new series through the ancient, old, yet perpetually relevant, relevant book of Job. And the idea is that Job is one of the most profound books in the Bible because it deals with one of those most profound issues that we face, which is suffering. Everything went downhill now. <laughs> See, suffering is a universal problem, and that is why Job has universal appeal. And I tell you that this morning I am hoping that we muster up some hope from the words of Job and the things that he went through. And see, the, the, the reality is that when we are going through suffering, um, there's a lot of questions that come about it. When we're in the midst of the hardship, the difficulty, the trials, the tribulation, and we're pressed against the fire, sometimes we start questioning, God, are your ways really good? Can you really be trusted? Is there any purpose in this suffering? And the reality is that although there's a lot of questions that arise from these difficult times, I have to say this, and I'm going to just break it up to you like this. There's not really an answer why we suffer in the book of Job, at least not at the beginning, but there is a reason, there is a purpose why we go through it. Why. And so I want to say this, that by the end of this talk, I want to encourage you and be full of hope that the Lord is about to do something. So all that said, if you can stand up to your feet with me, I'm about to read the word of God. And the one way that we do here is we want to honor his word. Amen. Amen. Job chapter one, that's where we at. If you got a Bible, you can open up there. If you're not, you can look at the screen. Hopefully it's there and it will be there pretty soon. And here we go. There it is. And it's a pretty lengthy, so I'll read. Um, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 
500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. Now, wow. I mean, you need some managers for that, right? <laughs> and very many servants. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. His sons used to go and hold feasts in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And, and when, they, when the days of the feast have run the course, Joe will send and consecrate them. And he will rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now talking about parenting. I mean somebody like standing, like a dad standing in the gap for his kids. Verse 6, now there was a day when the sons of God, and this is kind of like the scene kind of shifts a little bit. It goes from earthly, looking at Job's life and what he has, and now it's going into the heavenly realm. Now there was a day when the sons of God came, the sons of God is the angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Now it's like, what in the world is the devil doing there? The Lord said to Satan, from where you come? In other words, like, what are you doing here? He answered, from going to and fro on the earth. And from walking up and down. And the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan said, does Job fear God for no reason? Some of you guys have probably heard that before. You don't really love God. Do you really love God? Do you really want to serve him? Does Job really fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him in his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hand and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch your arm, your hand. So Satan went out from his presence, from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when the, his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine with their oldest brother's house, in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge, with the edge of the sword. And I alone escaped to, fell out, to, fell out, to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another one and said, The fire of God fell, on, fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servant and the, consumed them all. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, there came another one and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servant with the edge of the sword. And I alone escaped to tell you. Verse 18, while he was still speaking, there came another and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their, in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone escaped to tell you. Look at this response. This is beyond. Then Job arose and tore his robe. And shaved his head and fell to the ground in worship. And he said, naked 
I came from a mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with any wrong. Let's pray. Lord, help us to see what you're speaking to us this morning through this text. In Jesus' name, amen. Get somebody a high five and have a seat. We have all gone through hardship. And some of us might be currently actually right there right now. You may be facing it. You probably just came out of it. But one thing is guaranteed. You will eventually face some suffering. See, suffering cuts across the time and culture, race and personality in every demographic category because no one is immune to suffering. I mean, who sits around and has a conversation? Hmm, I can't wait to have some suffering coming. I don't think any of us will say anything like that, right? And see, the book of Joel is here for us, written for anyone that struggles with the goodness of God in a world that is filled with unspeakable and questionable suffering. And this can raise a lot of questions in the midst of that. Is God's ways good? Can we really trust him? Is he just? Why is there so much suffering in the world? Isn't God good? Is there purpose when I do face some trials and tribulations? And see, these are questions that hunt us down. And sometimes we find ourselves with the answer and sometimes with none. And the issue that I raise here are some of the most challenging and then ever that we can ever face in life. See, there's this term that people use often, it's suffering. Well, it's not something that comes, uh, you know, naturally. In other words, when for us to suffer well, it's not something that is like, oh, let's, you know, I'm going about to go through suffering. Let me prepare myself and, and, you know, so like that I can, you know, get some um, hope in something. You know, that doesn't come to us naturally, you know, which is why it's so disorienting to us whenever we do go through something hard. See, suffering has sometimes not even a meaning. Although some people may say that. Because it depends on your perception on things. Some of us may say, there's, there's no meaning to my suffering. Or some may say, well, like, why, why, why am I going through this? Why is this so hard for me to deal with? And others might say, like, you know, if there's suffering in their life, well, clearly they, they must have done something wrong. They must have fallen into sin. Something they must be doing wrong, that they, you know, they, they're suffering, they're going through it. And I have heard people saying, you know, that, that they're struggling with some of these tensions. You know, suffering doesn't mean anything or, you know, suffering because you, you did something wrong. And the reality is that we find ourselves, you know, kind of like in this tug of war trying to figure out, like, why is it that we suffer? What is the purpose? And some of these questions come up. And, and, and some of the things that I've been hearing here lately is like, you know, multiple people are currently battling cancer, including a two-year-old boy. How do we explain that? Someone who suffered traumatic brain injury a year ago, and they're still trying to walk that out. Unexpected divorce, 
ongoing depression, the, the opiate um, epidemic that is like killing families and people and almost to the point that people are dropping dead because of it. Pornography addiction is on the rise like never before, destroying marriages and individuals alike. We have unexpected medical issues. We have prolonged singleness and all the issues that entails that comes with that. We have uncertainties about visas. Am I going to be able to stay in this country long enough? I know that, you know, some of us have, you know, been part of a church and, and we were hurt by leadership. And, and now maybe you come to this church and you're like, you know, are they going to do the same thing to me here? Dealing with the suffering of that and the dealing with that. And then you add on top of all this, everything that we're seeing unfold in the news. You know, you got hurricane and one, one region of Florida gets decimated while everybody else is having picnics in their house. How can we explain that? Political meltdowns, racial tension, wars, and everything in between. And that's just scratching the surface. No one escapes what is thrown at us. And oftentimes we ask the question, why? Why, God? I mean, it doesn't even compute in my brain or my logic that a two-year-old boy has cancer and he has to go through that. Why, God? And we are left with no answer or little explanation. And if you haven't suffered to come in some degree, guess what? Get ready. And I'm not trying to be the, the, you know, the bad news bearer here, but get ready because it's coming. But I believe that if we are listening with our ears open to hear what the Lord is trying to say this morning, it'll prepare us and it'll get us on the track to be able to actually suffer well. And I have one big idea to set the tone to this talk, and it's this. When your faith is stronger than your why, you will find hope in the midst of your suffering. When your faith is stronger than your why, you will find hope in the midst of your suffering. And I got three moving thoughts to kind of like frame this whole talk. And the first thought is this. We must recognize the sovereignty of God over our suffering. We must recognize the sovereignty of God over our suffering. And I know that that word, you know, sovereignty, you know, for some reason it has kind of like taken the drain. Even within our culture, sometimes, like, we throw that, like, the sovereignty of God. Like, people are like, what is that? Like, what kind of language is that? It's almost something that has been lost. But I'm here today, like, to kind of, like, uncap and unveil and even awaken us to the reality that God is still sitting on the throne. And that he's still, he's still in control of things. Verse 1, it says, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright. One who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 females. By the way, if, if you hear some Spanish, just excuse my language there, you know. Un poquito de español solamente. Por si acaso hay latino en la casa. Y si me dejan predico en español también. 
Jesus. Así estamos en traducción. Verse 4. Verse 4. His sons used to go and hold feast in the house of each one of his day, and they would send and invite their sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Joe will send and consecrate them, and he will rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, and, may, and Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. So here we meet Job, right? Here we meet Job. Job is a godly man. He's a wealthy man. Obviously, we see that. Um, the picture of Job here is a, is a picture of the good life, somebody that is representing that in the Old Testament he has all these possessions and he has like all these servants. And the man is like, he's rich. He has wealth. Um, he has herds. Uh, a man that is above reproach. Um, he's sincere with his relationship with God. And the reason the author is telling us this out of the gate is making it clear, and don't miss this, he's making it clear that what Job is about to go through has nothing to do with what he has done. Job has done like literally nothing wrong. And this is crucial for us to understand. What is about to happen to Job is not due to anything that he has done wrong. Now, there's all kinds of different suffering that we go through. There's the self-afflicted suffering. Things that we experience in our life that may be um, moral failure or sin against others. And we read the ramifications of that, right? Like, you know, we've done something wrong and next thing you know it's like, oh, there's consequences, right? There's suffering because of betrayal of others or because, you know, uh, somebody that you maybe you had a friend and they done you wrong or they stab you in the back. Or there's suffering that came uh, into your life uh, through the loss of the suffering of somebody that, you know, passed away or somebody that got, you know, divorced or whatever. But then there is also the suffering, which I call here, like in the book of Job, of mystery. And this is where, when we look at the mystery of why we suffer, we ask the question, why? Why, God? And that is the kind of suffering that Job is going to experience here. Verse 6, now there was a day when the sons of God, this is the angels, came to the present to present themselves before the Lord. And sent, Satan came also with them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said, have you considered your servant, my servant Job, that there's none like him on the earth, blameless, upright man, who fears God and turns away from sin, turns away from evil? Then Satan answered, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him in his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hand and his possessions. Of course, that's why he serves you. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hands. Can you imagine that? I mean, when I read that, it's like the God of the universe is giving permission to the accuser, the adversary, the devil, Satan, to afflict 
are you guys with me about that? Like, like how can the God of the universe, the Holy One, say to Satan, go and afflict him. Go and put the, the fire upon him. Go and pressure him and put him against, go and put your thumb on him. But then he says, obviously, don't kill him though, right? And I don't know about you, but that every time that I read this, I'm like, there's something inside of me that doesn't sit right. There's something inside of me that says, like, why would you do that, God? Do you feel like that? Do you see this? And if you're asking why, guess what? We're not alone asking that question. In the Bible, there's multiple people that ask the question. Moses, he said in Numbers 11, 11, this is not on, not on the screen, but it says, why have you dealt ill with your servant. This is Moses telling God. David says to him, oh Lord, why do you stand so far off? Why do you hide yourself in the times of trouble? Psalm 10, that's in Psalm 10.1. In Habakkuk it says that, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? This is people in the Bible asking God why these things are happening. And even the disciples asked the question in John chapter 9, verse 2. Why was this man born blind? Did he sin? Did his parents sin? Clearly somebody must have sinned. And I love it because Jesus says, it is for the glory of God that this man has been born sin. Because what I'm about to do is going to display and unveil who I am. And so sometimes through our suffering, we might not be able to answer the question, why God? But we can say, okay, there is a reason and there is a purpose. There is a what? But in the midst of the why, in the concern, we have to be careful that we don't miss the main point, the why we deal with the suffering even when we don't know. And this is the reason. Because God is sovereign. Oh, Robert, okay, good. I'm glad that you said that. He is. He is sovereign, and we must recognize his sovereignty over our suffering. See, meaning he is in complete control over Job's suffering. And we see this clearly when he says to Satan that he go, you know, that goes to God and says, hey, Oh, have you considered your servant Job? Now, check this out. God is acknowledging and looking at Satan and saying, hey, have you seen my son Job? I'm like, God, why are you acknowledging this man? It's almost like, is there like a target on Job? And some of us have felt like that. Like, we ask the question, God, is there a target on me? Like, what are you trying to do with me? Why are you allowing these things happen? See, Satan has no power of his own. You guys see this? He has to come to God to ask him permission to go to Job. You guys don't get that. In other words, the things that you go through in life sometimes, it's not necessarily that God is bad and he's looking down and he's ready to smite you down. No, he releases his hand and says, 
I was about to mention somebody's name, but I don't want to. <laughs> like, oh, not me. But he releases his hand and says, you know what? Watch how he's going to worship me when he's facing those trials and the tribulation. Watch. Look what he'll do. Watch his response. But in the midst of the why, we must recognize the sovereignty of God over our suffering. Meaning that Satan's power is limited by God. And we must therefore work, in other words, our suffering. God, it's like Satan has to work within the parameters of what God allows him to do. You know, some of us might have grown up, you know, in the, in the doctrine of saying, like, everything is the devil. The devil this, the devil that, the devil this. Oh, the devil. The flat tire, the devil. You know, everything is the devil. And I'm like, sometimes I'm like, I feel so bad for the devil. <laughs> Let's pray for the devil, right? Don't do that. That's a joke. Rebuke him. That's what you can do. In prayer. Right? In Jesus' name. That's right. So right out of the gate, we see that this is not a dualistic worldview. And in other words, this is not Star Wars. This is not like the force against, you know, the evil empire. This is not like this, this equal, you know, power coming against. In other words, God is all powerful and in control of all things, right? And guess what? He's allowing the devil to do some things. So a lot of times we kind of like say, wait, wait a minute, like, so there's this like battle of good and evil. What? Yeah, there is. But evil only goes to an extent until he's, we realize that our eyes are fixed on Jesus. And the minute that our eyes are fixed upon him, everything that we see in our lives now becomes from the lenses of the way we look at him. And so even the hardship and the difficulties and the suffering, when we ask the question, why? We look at him and say, Jesus, let's go again. Because I realize I cannot do this on my own. I'm gonna, I've been through it. It's been hard. And now I need you to be with me again. See, the point here is not a struggle between equal forces of good and evil. The point here is that God is in complete control. And Satan can do only go as far as God allows him. Or allows him or permits for him to do. See, why is this? Because God is sovereign. He is infinite in his wisdom. He is perfect in love. He is the fountain of life, the fountain of all that is good. And even more being, he is infinitely wise, perfect in love, astonishing in goodness. And he is completely in control of all things in death and in life. He is sovereign over the gigantic quasars, light years away. And he is in control of the very small little particles of our bodies. He is sovereign over the totality of our lives. And he is sovereign over every single breath that we take every single moment of our lives. And if we have that mindset and if we have the heart to look at God from this perspective, when we deal with suffering, we're going to deal with it well. He is sovereign over everything. We must recognize that he is sovereign over all things, including our suffering. St. Augustine said it like this. He said, for the almighty God, who, who as even the heathen acknowledge, 
has supreme power over all things, being himself supremely good, would never permit the existence of anything evil among his works if he were not so omnipotent and good that he can bring good out of evil. He is sovereign over every good that is in our lives, and he is sovereign over every ounce of suffering that we experience. Are you guys catching what I'm trying to say here? Are you guys with me? And I mean, I, I get it. Like, we're going to go through it. I mean, it's going to be some moments of difficulties that we're going to go. And I just hope that you will remember this talk. First Chronicles 29, 11 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness in the power, in the glory, in the majesty, in the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head of all things. And though he is sovereign over evil, he himself does not have an ounce of evil. Isn't that interesting? It's, it's not that God is inflicting these things on Job. Guess what? He's allowing Satan to actually inflict these things on Job. So God mysteriously is allowed evil. He does not delight in evil, but he is able to use evil for his larger purposes. And it's hard for us to grasp that. It really is. And let's take a moment here, right now. Let's take a, a, a few seconds in, in your life. Think about your life. Do a quick mental survey of your life right now and all this going on in your life. God is in absolute control over every detail of your life, even your suffering. He has, he will, and he is. Because he is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. First Peter 4.19 says something astonishing. It kind of blew my mind. I'm like, what is this? He says, let those who suffer according to God's will, and trust their souls to the faithful creator while doing good. So even in the midst of operating in the will of God, you're going to face some suffering. You're going to be doing some good, yet come across opposition. And what is interesting to me is that this observation about the book of Job is that it raises the question, why? Why can everything be just peaches and creams? Why can everything be just like a nice ice cream, chocolate ice cream, you know? Like, why can things be just like sweet? And the interesting thing is that we ask the question why. But see, it points that God's way are beyond our ways. He knows and sees things that we don't see. We don't have the full story on things, right? Our view is limited, and so it should move us Humbly to trust him. And that sometimes is hard. We don't know the end from the beginning. Why? Or we, we don't see the, whole, the end from the beginning. We didn't create reality and logic out of sheer creativity, right? Um, out, of, out of our being. We don't 
have a divine uh, vantage point from which we view things, right? And so all the same time, all of them at the same time, we don't fully grasp the intricacies or the, 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 all the details of why things happen the way they do. Or even why, you know, he allows some things to happen within his will, within his freedom, but not at the expense of our freedom. It's like we go through some things sometimes in life, and it's like, but I want to do something different. God be like, trust me, I'm trying to do something here. I'm trying to do something. See, we can't fathom his infinite wisdom. We can't fathom his perfect knowledge. We can't fathom his perfect goodness. So if God is God and we are not, we should expect mystery. We don't have to put everything into a box, nice and neat. There's going to be some things that you're not going to be able to put in the box. It's just not going to happen, unfortunately. So, friends, the first call for us here is that we must immerse ourselves in the reality that God is sovereign. And that is what the scriptures reveal to us. We cannot allow our perception of God to influence an understanding of God, but to allow the revealed word of God to show us the primary shape and everything that influences us, that we look at the word and we say, you know what? He is God. I am not. I trust you. And I must. Psalm 33, 11, 10 says, says the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. <laughs> That's hard for some of us. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart for all generation. Proverbs 16, 9 says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord is the one that established his steps. Romans, his famous, you know, Romans book, it says in 828, he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. But we can't end there. In other words, that we know that God is sovereign over all things. We cannot only say that he is sovereign over all things, but that we can trust his purpose for the suffering. Point number two, trust God's purposes in your suffering. Years ago, um, my wife and I, we have, you know, four kids. And um, years ago in between, um, I think it was the second and the, 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 second and the third baby, um, I, we, we were pregnant. We were pregnant, right? And so, um, you know, we were excited. Uh, we remember going to the doctors and we were hearing the, the heartbeat and everything. It was coming up to one of those um, moments to go check um, you know, the heartbeat of the baby and see the health of the baby and mom and all that. And I remember going to the doctor and, um, you know, they came, they did the ultrasound and all that stuff. And next thing you know, uh, the nurse, you know, walks out and, and, and she comes back in and she says, um, I, I have some bad news. Um, there's no heartbeat. And a heart sunk. We were Cindy there. We were looking at each other. It's like, what does this mean? And I remember walking outside. We were in the hospital, outside the hospital now because now we, we got to figure out what's going to happen. You know, you have a, a baby that is deceased in the belly. And it's like, 
that cannot be good for mama. It's just a matter of time that it can affect her health. And, and so we're sitting in the, in the parking lot of the hospital. And I remember vividly, you know, trying to really get into my wife's shoes because as a man, it was kind of hard for me to understand her pain. And obviously, this is a baby that she was carrying. So I'm like, I don't, and all I, all I can think of in the moment, and I didn't even know, I, obviously, I think eventually it did help, but I'm like, I said, I'm like, babe, God is in control of our lives. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why, but I'm sure something good is going to come out of it because that's what we believe. And it's interesting because in order for somebody to have life, somebody else has to die. And here it is, a baby, an innocent baby, dies in the womb. And guess what, friends? That was the moment that my wife experienced revival in her life. She began to be used by God in such a powerful way. I remember she went and had a conversation with somebody at Greenhouse. This is years ago. And said, hey, I feel led to do uh, a woman's ministry. I feel led to do a, a, a woman's uh, microchurch. And sure enough, she did a woman's microchurch, and it exploded. I mean, so many females, so many young women came and were part of the, mini, the uh, microchurch to the point that even today, still some of those ladies, correct me if I'm wrong, are right now in ministry. And it started there. See, somebody's hardship and difficulty and suffering can actually turn somebody else's world upside down for them to actually fall into the will of God in their lives. Somebody must die, so somebody else must live. See, we must trust God's purpose in our life. He is good and infinitely wise in his decision and in all of his ways. He is filled with purpose. And one example that comes up to my mind is this. Um, in the book of, jo uh, in the book of uh, Genesis, uh, the story of Joseph, right? <laughs> he gets betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, right? He almost actually <laughs> got killed. And then guess what? Almost his whole youth, he was in prison. He was in prison. And then not only that, he was elevated to be the second in command under Pharaoh, saving countless people. And this is what he said to his brothers, and I love this. Genesis 50, 20, it says like this. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Sometimes when we look at our suffering, we look at something evil and yet we blame the devil because he's the one afflicting it. Man, get past the fact of looking into the weeds. Get your eyes on Jesus and realize, Lord, you're doing something here. I don't know what you're doing. All I know is that I'm going to look at you. I need your help. I can't do this on my own. And I know that I'm going to be able to get through this. See, on this human plane, it looks like evil. And it is evil. On this human plane... It is suffering, and guess what? It is suffering, and it is hard. But see, in, on God's plane, when we get our eyes on Jesus, it's different. He begins to bend and shape things that we cannot see, and he begins to put things into perspective, and all we have to do is trust him and look at him. Why? Because he has a purpose in our lives. 
So think about it. He ends up using Job, a Middle Eastern man, from maybe about 3,000 years ago. We don't even know when this book was written, like 2,500 years ago. And it causes him to become one of the most famous men in history. Why? Because of his suffering. Because of his suffering. He's not famous because he got up and he was preaching to the masses or because he was handing out thousands of dollars because of his suffering. Now think about that for a second. Here we are, thousands of years later, using Job to bring encouragement and hope in our lives. Think of that for a second. Due to Job's suffering, countless, unsearchable, innumerable numbers of people have been inspired to face their trials, tribulation, and to endure with patience and to trust God. And many have found their purpose in God through their suffering. So next time you go through something hard, don't give up. Cling to the one that has a purpose in your suffering. When your faith is stronger than your why, you will find hope in the midst of your suffering. Point number one, we must recognize that God is sovereign in our suffering. Point number two, we can trust his purpose in our suffering. And third and final point, we find hope in our suffering because he demonstrated to us the purpose of his suffering. Oh my gosh, that preaches. <laughs> Verse 20, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from a mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, not in some, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. What manner of devotion? What manner of understanding? What manner of honoring, what manner of reverence, what, ma what manner of revelation on the knowledge of who God is, that this will be the response of someone just like you and me, a human in flesh. What manner, what radical devotion. I'm like, Lord, how? I mean, I, I think about it, I'm like, <laughs> when I'm facing difficult times, and I have, and I know I will, Lord, will you, will you move my heart in this way? Will I respond in this way? Will your church, will us respond in this way? Now imagine what God will tell to a world that says that suffering is meaningless. 
that has no purpose. Imagine when the church responds in a way that says, you know what? This is hard. This is difficult. This burns. I can't stand the pain. I can't stand it no more. But I know that there's a God that is faithful and he is with me. And no matter what, he's going to lead me. And he's not going to ever, ever let me go. Friends, he will never forsake us. That's the kind of God we serve. He's not just up there just nonchalant like, oh, there they go. They're worshiping me again. No. He is moved whenever we are broken and we say, God, this is hard. I can't do this anymore. And that's the moment that God actually becomes God. Because we realize that in our suffering, in our, in our own ways, we can even begin to fathom the hardship and the difficulty that we go through. And clearly, let me land it like this. Worship team, you can come up. Are you guys encouraged? I'm, I'm so encouraged. I, I, like, I, I know suffering is going to come. It's, it's almost like, and it's not like I'm like opening the door like, is suffering coming? Like, is suffering? It's, that's not what I'm, what I'm saying is I know we're going to face it. It's coming. Because it's part of our human falling condition. Perhaps some of us might be there right now. Some of us might be going through something hard right now. Something difficult. And clearly Job was in touch with something beyond what we can read. Have you heard of the term, uh, don't read between the lines, Right? We heard that, like, oh, don't try to make something out of nothing here. Like, no, in the story of Job, we have to read between the lines. We have to make something out of nothing. Because this whole idea of suffering and difficulty, if we stab at Job, we missed it. See, his radical, attractive, devotion this kind of devotion is actually offensive to the undevoted because it's actually pointing to something else see God doesn't promise our story will make sense in and of themselves in other words when we go through hardship if the end of our hardship or our suffering is us and pity me we miss it we missed it. But he does promise there will be, that he will find the greater purpose in light of the greater story of redemption. Because at the end of the day, if we look at Job without looking at the cross, without looking at Jesus, we missed it. If we're going to talk about Job's suffering, we must talk about Jesus. Humanity and suffering, you and I suffering, the answer to our question of why God, we must look at Jesus. It's not going to be found in Job alone. It's not going to be found in our own little pity party. We have to look to the one that really suffered well. The cross was the lowest form of punishment. 
the suffering and the agonizing pain was cruel and barbarous. The cross was an actual instrument of execution that resulted in death by the most torturous and painful way that any human being can ever go through. It was the highest level of human suffering, not only physically, the pain was great, but the shame associated with it. To the point that even Jesus himself, as he is upon the cross, he said these words. Ready to be shocked? Listen to what he says in Matthew 26, verse 26. He says, as he's standing, as he's hanging on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So here it is, the Savior of the world, the one that once and for all will set people free once they believe in him. He's asking the question, why do I have to deal with this pain? What manner of love is this? That even the God of the universe hanging on the cross, he's asking the question, why? And the answer to our why is found on the one that was wrongfully tried. He was beaten and took upon the pain and the suffering. And even himself, while he was upon the cross, he asked that question that you and I will often ask. Jesus is the one that said, you will have trials and tribulation and trouble. But then he says the most profound part of it all. He says, take heed, little flock. Don't worry. I have overcome the world. This is the same God that he has he hanging on the cross. He's saying why, but at the same time, he's saying, you know what? Through this why, I know why. In Hebrews 12, verse 2 and 3, it says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter, <clears throat> excuse me, and the perfecter of your faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, some sinners, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart as you suffer. Friends, I believe that it has been unveiled to us that there is a way for us to realize that we can suffer well. We find hope in our suffering because Jesus demonstrated to us the purpose of his suffering. That today, through his suffering, you and I can actually walk in the life that he is meant for us to have through the sacrifice that he gave us. So church, if you stand to your feet, we're going to go into a time of worship here. And, and, and i tell you what though. I know, I know that some of you are dealing with some suffering right now, some difficulties. And I believe that it's not by chance that you're here today. There's something that God wants to do, not only in your heart, but even also to acknowledge with your mind and realize, oh wait, there's something that I can do with my suffering. I can surrender it to him. 
and he's going to see me through. So church, let's worship and get our eyes on Jesus and learn to suffer well for his kingdom cause.